We're so glad that you joined us today for this podcast from Bishop Quentin Moore and the Father's House in Hutchinson, Kansas. God loves you and wants the best for you, and we want to hear what God is doing in your life. Share your story with us by sending an email to mystory@fathershouse.net. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at fathershouse.net slash give. Just select the option that works for you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I had them read to you out of Judges this morning because they were trying to determine who could go in and who could not go in, and they were trying to protect the city, and the word was shibleth, and they couldn't say shibleth, they said sibleth. Your accent matters. The tone, the tenor, the way you pronounce words matter. And if you don't know the shibleth, the tone, the tenor, uh, just the, the terroir of the kingdom of God, you may be trying to say it, but you can't say it. You can just be one syllable off, and it can cost you your life. Shibleth is the way you say it, not sibleth. And that, so that, that tone, that was the protection around it. And last week I talked about the prodigal son, right? I started that and I talked about scene one. This, this week I'm going to do scene two. And Jesus always speaks in metaphors and allegories and parables. And he t- this thing is called the prodigal. And the word prodigal means reckless, extravagant, lavish, spending everything, just wasting it. And it's about the prodigal son. And generally they talk about the younger son going off and wasting everything. But as you notice in Luke 15, verse 1, it says the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. I just want you to know those tax collectors, those scum of the earth, those sinners, the Gentiles, the outsiders, the the bad people, they gathered to listen to Jesus because they liked what they were hearing. But then it says that the Pharisees, the teachers, the scribes, they muttered, Notice the difference. The the crowd of the tax collectors had come to hear the good news of the gospel. The Pharisees were muttering. And Jesus tells the story of the father with two sons in response to the muttering of the Pharisees and the tax collectors, or the scribes. And, and, And he talks about two ways of living. He talks about those who gather, those who are the prodigals, and he talks to those that are muttering. He talks to those that relate kind of to the younger son and then those that relate to the older son. He addresses both the religious and the irreligious, and he's not defending either way. And you do have to catch the context that in this moment, Christianity was very non-religious. I mean, if someone walked up to a Christian and they said, well, what temple do you go to? They said, oh, we don't have a temple. Well, if you don't have a temple, where do your priests do what they do? Oh, well, we don't, we don't have priests. Well, what do you mean you don't have priests? Where do you sacrifice? And they go, oh, we, we don't do sacrifices anymore. You do have to understand that Christianity at that moment was viewed as atheist. And Christianity had such non-religious things to it because Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. It didn't fit in to the culture of the moment of being a religion. It was very non-religious. And generally, people at that time viewed spiritual people as people who kept the law, as moral people, people who kept all those commandments. They were viewed as religious spiritual people, not, not these people. And, and there was this huge thing. What, what are you doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing hanging out with them? And 
And so this story, Jesus speaks to those who are outside and he speaks to those that are inside. And in, in many ways, he comes to clear up misconceptions about who he is. He, he comes to tell this timeless story and he tells the story of a sheep that goes out and is lost. He, he, he talks about sweeping the house and finding a coin that's lost. And then he jumps into these two sons and last week, again, scene one was about this younger son who demanded his inheritance before the death of his father, which is really saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff now. Uh, they didn't have, it wasn't money. It was land that was valuable in those days. Uh, you, you had land and you inherited land. And so give me my inheritance meant sell the land. Get rid of the land, and your identity was in the land. And if you're like me, and you, you're from Oklahoma, and you, uh, I belong to the land, and the land is grand. I, I mean, if you're from Oklahoma, if you don't, you have never seen the musical. But uh, so the younger son actually is demanding that the father sell his property and divide up the inheritance, and that's the identity. And, and the elders of that time would have just lost their mind. What are you doing? That is so disrespectful. In fact, you deserve to be stoned. You deserve to be killed. You, you, you've demanded this inheritance before. You don't care about the father. All you care about is wealth. All you care about is getting your stuff. All you care about is going off and living your life individually and controlling your own destiny. And, and, and right here, last week, I tried to tell you that they should have stoned this boy. But you see the father... Instead of stoning the boy, he gives him mercy, and he, he does. He sells everything, and he gives him everything, and this young man couldn't have squandered it or wallered it away if he hadn't been... God could have stopped this mess by just not letting him get the apple off the tree in the beginning, right? And so from the beginning, we see that the father is not who we think he is, that he's more than who we think he is, and that his verdict is mercy, and he gives it to him. And, and I told you that he goes off into the far country out there, way out there, and takes life into his own hands and this whole self-development and self-improvement and lives the way he wants to live and goes out there and joins himself with those bacon eaters. You know, goes out there and joins those Gentiles, those people that make bacon. Right? They, they, they're, they're the Gentiles. They're the Sadducees, the Hittites. They're they're Gentiles. They're not Jewish. They're not Roman. They're just bad. And they're out here stirring bacon. And he goes out there and he, he lives around. I mean, you know, they're cooking meth out there. And he goes out and hangs out. Am I getting close? He goes out with those people that run houses and, and stuff. And, 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 he, and the Pharisees are losing their minds. What do you mean? Look at that. There, he's, yeah. And he comes to himself, right? The Bible says he comes to himself. He wakes up out of the coma, and, and he, he remembers that the Father is good. How does he know the Father is good? Because the Father gave him stuff he shouldn't have gave him. I mean, it, I mean, how many of you have ever been out and done something stupid only to remember that mom and dad loved you even though you were rebelling? I'm like, come on. Even when you were being stupid, mom and dad were being nice to you. And somehow out here, I turned 25 and my dad got smart. I don't know why he waited so long. And, and it was the remembered goodness, it was the remembered kindness leads people to repentance. It was the remembered, right? It, it wasn't the threat that when you come home, I'm going to beat you, 
No, it was, and so he comes to himself and he decides that, you know, I'm not worthy. And he, he starts making a list of all of his sins and he's going to go back and he's going to confess. And he, he says, I'll just be a slave. I'll just become a slave in the father's house. And I'll, I'll just, and I'm going to go back. Because see, if, if you're going to go back, you can't just say, I'm sorry. You have to make restitution. And somebody has to pay. And so the way he would pay is he'd sell himself into slavery and he'd become an indentured servant. And so I'm going to go back and I'm going to make a deal and I'm going to be this indentured servant. And, and, and last week I told you, right, the father's waiting and he sees the son approaching and the father picks up his robes and starts running at this returning son. Remember? And he's running because the Pharisees would have been going out with their pots. They would have been throwing down pots and glass to try to keep that bad son from coming. I mean, we got to keep people out, right? We got to build these fences and build these walls. We got to keep all the bad people out. And they're going out to create a barrier to keep people out. And the father outruns those that are judging because mercy always outruns judgment. So again, we see the father not as this judge demanding something, but as this judge that's giving mercy. Do you see it? Because his mercy endures forever, his mercy triumphs over. And so the father running is this picture. The Pharisees are losing their mind because Jesus is saying, I want to show you a different view of who God is. And we see the father kissing the younger son. And then he says, bring me the robe, the best robe. You do know the best robe in the house was the father's robe. The best robe was the one the father was wearing. So the father takes off his righteousness and puts it back on the son. He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God. So he clothes you in himself. Bring me the ring. I haven't got any more land. I've given you everything I got. So I'll just give you my authority. So you can use my name. You can do. So you're given authority. And then you're given shoes to wear. And then, you know, meals in those days did not consist of meat very often because meat was so precious. But then he kills the fatted calf and he throws the party. He stops the deal, says, I don't need another slave. I just need sons. And it's unmerited, right? This kid does nothing for this grace. It's free. God's got grace to spare. It's abundant. It's it's overwhelming, and he restores that son. Anybody here say amen? Anybody just really, can you just associate with being that stupid? Right? And yet somehow you came to yourself, and you come, you're not expecting it, and the father runs and falls on you and kisses you, clothes you, and puts rings and throws parties, and, and it's free. And it, it, you, you can't earn that. It's, you, uh, you didn't even get to read the list of sins that you'd committed. And we, you didn't have to because we could smell it. And um, this, is, this is Jesus painting another picture of, of who God is. And, 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 I, and I tried last week to say, you know, the prodigal son, Jesus comes and becomes the prodigal, identifies with the prodigal, and Jesus leads the prodigal, right? And you see that on the cross. And we understand that God was in Christ reconciling the world. So it's the Father in the Son and the Son revealing the Father. And we see that God is more than what we think He is. And now then I would say to us, well, now who really is the reckless, extravagant, prodigal? Isn't it the Father? I mean, we want to talk about what the Son wasted. Can I just talk to you about what the Father 
extravagantly pours out on the sun? Doesn't that doesn't sound like a lot of the preaching that I've heard when I was growing up. But that was scene one. That was act one, and I, I'm going to do act two. Act two is, here's the elder brother observing all of this. And the Bible says he's angry. That he, 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 he won't come into the party, that he's standing outside, and he refuses to go in. And his father comes out to him. And he looks at him, he said, son, and, and the, the elder brother, the older brother goes, look, I have slaved for you my whole life. I've, I've never disobeyed you ever. I kept the rules. I've kept the Ten Commandments. I've been a slave in your house. Look, I have a right to determine who gets to come in. You have, to, you have to catch this. You have to catch, I've done it. I, I've, I've lived a good life. I've kept all the rules. Look, you, you don't get to waste my money. That's my inheritance. Do you hear that? This story about the Pharisee is, or this story about the elder brother, and he's telling it to the Pharisee. He's speaking to the Pharisee now. And the father doesn't respond with anger to the son. In fact, he says, my son, you have always been with me. And everything I have is yours. You see the father being as merciful to this son as he is to this son. You have to understand that both sons are only concerned about one thing, money. Both sons just want inheritance. Neither son wanted to love the father because of who the father was. This son demanded his inheritance early. This son thought he had earned it. This son thought that by his behavior and his morality and his obedience that then he could control God and that he could determine... Both ways are wrong, but God loves both ways. Jesus is standing there saying, listen, being independent and doing it your way, that's not the way. But neither is this thing over here where you think you can perform your way into something. That's not, are you here? Both of them. And Jesus is standing there trying to tell this through a story, challenging that pride, challenging that arrogance. And, and, and please understand, this story ends right here. The boy doesn't come in. Could I just say, this is the one that is challenged to repent. You never hear that to this son. But this is the son, the one that stayed home and thinks he's kept the law. He's challenged to make a choice. He's challenged. Listen, if you had to live in the house with this one, you'd run off too. I mean, if you had been abused by the older brother all your life, you'd stand up and say, I want out of here. You know why many people stop coming to church? Because it's filled with a lot of elder brothers who think they're special and elite and better than and in control of. Are you? 
And, and by and large, Western Christianity has said, this is it. In fact, I'm aware of denominations in this town that you have to take a test to join. And they have to vote on whether you get to join because you have to live up to their... And I want to go, oh, it's too elder brethren-ish. Are you getting it? The, the shibboleth is not real good. Are you? But this shibboleth is not real good. One is individual. One is institutional. One is do it my way. The other one is if you follow the rules, you do understand neither way is right. But he loves both. He stands in the middle of it and says, we've we got to talk about this moral conformity because sin for most people is defined by keeping a set of rules oh, or, or this self-discovery. Both of them are caught in self-control, under control in order to demand. Both of them are. And at, at this story, the bad son enters, the good son doesn't. The dude that was sleeping with prostitutes gets in. The non-bacon eater does not. Oh, come on. It's, it's mind-boggling, right? But you got to understand, Jesus has been talking to the tax collectors and the sinners. The Pharisees and the scribes show up and start muttering, and Jesus tells a story. And in that story, Jesus is uncovering and lifting the veil on who God really is. And he's lifting the veil on this son. And he's lifting the veil on this son. And, and you can feel this. And there's a deeper understanding of God. And there's a deeper understanding of the family dynamics that go on within the sibling nature. And, and, and we begin to realize that sin is not keeping not, or breaking a set of rules. That sin is really putting yourself in the place of God. That sin is when you say, I don't need a Savior because I've kept the rules. Sin is setting yourself up to be the judge, the jury, the Lord. You know, Both are wrong. God loves both. But I have spent my life, and others as well, in the last 50 years, at uncovering the most beautiful gospel. The gospel that denominationalism has covered up. The gospel that the culture tries to twist and bend to its own. The gospel that has been politicized. And if you're this, you're Christian, conservative. And if you're not, you're a liberal. I've watched the gospel be manipulated and reduced by institutionalisms, by the celebration of individuals, by culture. But I don't know about you, but there is a hunger for the unashamed purity of the gospel that only Jesus reveals. And it's a theology of Jesus as he comes to reveal that God is our Father and that he comes to resolve the sibling rivalry within the family. He comes to look at all the children and say, no, that's not it. He comes to say, Listen, this competitive, this comparisonism, this idea, it's, you see, 
this brother can't forgive that brother because he thinks he's superior to that. He thinks he's better than that. He's elite to that. He's, And I have to confess to you again, the preaching of this gospel is not met with open arms. I have gotten more letters from elder brothers in 35 years because if what I'm preaching is true, they have just lost control. And when they lose control, they're angry. I have been a slave. Oh! I will become a slave. Can you see it? This tension that relies in the family. I, I've watched a lot of people try to break free of addiction. And many of you in this room, you've, you battle addiction with drugs or alcohol or food or sexuality or whatever it may be. But the hidden addiction in the body of Christ is this addiction to... And you're judgmental. And let me tell you, it's easy to slip back into that. And most of the people I know in the body of Christ are a combination. Most people I know in the body of Christ, they play this and then they'll play this. It's amazing how people that are given grace that is free come back in and all of a sudden you meet them a few years later and now they've got their hand on their hip and they're, are you listening to me? It is just this kind of sickness that people relapse. Now, now let's, let's catch the story. The sheep goes out there and the shepherd goes to get him. I keep running for the father to run after the sheep, right? But this one, the woman sweeps the house to find what's in the house. So that one is lost out there. This one is lost in here. You do understand that you can be out there and alienated from the Father, but you can also be right here and be alienated. Both are lost. And I keep waiting in this story that's a little confusing for the Father to go get that son, but He never does. As I was preparing for this, I found a story about brothers. Edmund Clowney. His brother went missing in Vietnam. Missing in action was the letter that came to the door. And his brother got up and went to Vietnam. Spent over a year looking for his brother, missing in action. He, he was so well known by the Viet Cong, they just called him the brother and they would let him go anywhere. He found his brother. Even the enemy let him find his brother. Are you hearing this? Jesus is telling this story because, son, everything I have is yours. <laughs> Jesus paints the Pharisees into this story. See, the father couldn't go after the son because he had given everything he had to both sons. It was the elder brother's job to get up and go after the other brother. The elder brother had all the robes and all the money and all the rings and owned all the calves. It's the elder brother that should have been broken over the loss of a brother, not worried over his own inheritance. 
It was the elder brother that was supposed to get up and chase his brother into the prodigal life that he was in and bring him back. But the elder brother was too puffed up in, I've never disobeyed. Jesus tells this marvelous story, and he places the Pharisee in that elder brother attitude. Are you here? The father couldn't go because everything had been given to the son. The son reveals the father. The father loves the son. And here Jesus is going, that's not the way the elder brother, the firstborn, is supposed to behave. But that's what religion does to God. It reduces God to keeping the rules. And see, God's mercy is greater than rules. Jesus is both the younger and the older. And Jesus comes and says, I emptied myself. I gave away everything that was mine. And I chased my brother into that prodigal living and I picked him up and I carried him back into the father. This is what you've made the elder to be. Let me show you what the elder is really like. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he sent his son and his son laid down his life. He didn't live in this puffed up nature. He let go of it, emptied, became obedient, and walked and followed the younger son and picks him up, puts him in himself, and carries... Can you see the story? Jesus is a master at uncovering the mask that people hide behind. He lifts the mask on the younger brother who's trying to make a deal and be a slave. He lifts the mask on the one that thinks he's been enslaved. He lifts the mask and says, no, that's not it. Let me tell you what it really is. It's me. But they don't get it either. You have to go to the cross and see him pouring out his life. And I know, I know, I know. See... For this one, it was free. For this one, it cost everything. We get caught in these debates about, is grace free? Yes. Is grace costly? Yes. It's both. It costs the elder brother everything. Everything. And it doesn't just cost him everything once. Jesus we are still called, every time we come back here, we are called to remember his death. Jesus is still pouring out everything. Out of your belly will come rivers, because it's never, it, you'll never find the end of the generosity. Christ is still pouring out, still chasing people into the pig pen. He's still running after us. And every time we come back here, we remember that though that sacrifice was once and for all, that sacrifice is still going out. And that on the cross, you see the strength of God, that his very nature is his willingness to be weak. His very nature is not to stand on his identity, as Paul says, as something to be grasped, but emptied himself of his own identity put it down and said I know I've never disobeyed God Jesus never disobeyed God he was without sin but in spite of that he comes into us and becomes are you here this is the gospel 
And it's been so confused over the last 300 years by, 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 oh, by. And so if you preach this, they think you're too grace-giving. If you tell them this, then you get too legalistic. It's neither one. It's substitutionary. It's an exchange. It's this one lays down everything to go join that one. And Jesus in Luke 15 is poking at it. See me. I'm the elder brother. I will go down and empty. I mean, you, man, this is the love of God. If you ever get this, I promise you, you won't keep this. I was watching David's whole thing the other day, and I thought, the only thing that makes a man be 65, 6 years old and still be wearing dreads, I promise you, dreads is not something anybody would want to wear when you're 65. Is <laughs> to still go down into the prodigal. When he tells you what he does next week, you listen to what I said this week. That's what he's done all his whole life. Guess what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to imitate this. Repentance. The choice is, will you give your life away? Will you start pouring out and give up your rights and quit acting like you're, you got it all. You do not. First of all, that's a lie. First of all, you're all prodigals. And if you hadn't been brought back in, you'd never. And now that you're brought back in, you're supposed to go back out into all the world and reveal this love. Reveal the. Are you, do you get it? This will. This will. No wonder he says, I'm the way. That's not the way. That's not the way. I'm the way. To pour your life out. For other people, have this mind. This is the shibboleth. Man, I can hear this shibboleth. I can hear it. And I can hear this shibboleth going, see, I can just do whatever I want to. Look, that's stupid. That is stupid to keep going back to bacon. Some of you are addicted to bacon. You, you, you get over the bacon. And some of you are addicted to your own performance. And they've been fighting, and so there's this division. These people think they can get away with anything, come to church whenever they want to. These people think as long as they come to church, they can do anything they want to and demand their rights. Both are wrong. Both are loved. This is the way. It's been covered up. Boy, I hope I'm doing a good job. Um, for I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, to boast only of the cross of Jesus Christ, to believe that in that moment that His grace is sufficient, reaching into every one of our lives. But can I tell you, there's another people. There's these pig pen keepers. Are you here? This isn't just a story about this brother, this brother and the sibling rivalry, and this. Because when this brother goes back to this brother, which he doesn't do. Jesus steps in to do. And Jesus is 
all man and all God. Jesus is both the prodigal and the firstborn. He stands and says, I am human. I am divine. I heal the division and the rivalry within the family by revealing to you the Father's heart. Do you you get that? But there's another group. There's two candles on this table that represent all man, all God. I know you think we just put the candles there because it's pretty. but, But there's these bacon boilers. And they're Gentiles. They're not in the family. They're, they're, they're not brothers. They're, they're bacon broilers. They're cooking stuff. They're Gentiles. They're, they're Hittites and Amorites. And they're on the outside and they're the scum of the earth. And they're, they're nobodies. And Jesus looks over the family dispute and he says, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And though we're not brothers, I'll step outside that and I'll call you friends. And friends lay down their life. Are you listening? And Jesus reaches outside of this covenant called Israel and he reaches out here And the real story is greater love have no man than this. Then he laid down his life for a friend. The shibboleth of the kingdom of God is not individualism. It's not institutionalism. The shibboleth of God is that he is a friend to the world. To these people out here. Are you? This is the greatest gospel. This message goes beyond denominational divisions. It doesn't stop at cultural. Listen, I'm so sick of cultures arguing about who God is and who God isn't and making him up to fit their image. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But the political language is robbing us of our message. You have got to get over this. America is addicted to it, and you got to get out of it. There is no politics that's going to save the world. You're not going to make a country great. God's going to make his kingdom known. This is about the kingdom of God, not about... And all of those things cover up this great gospel. This beautiful, beautiful gospel where he befriends the bacon. (laughs) I I was a bacon broiler. I I was out here. I I wasn't just the prodigal, Kent. I wasn't even in the conversation. I was outside the conversation. I was beyond lost. I, I was hopeless. And he reached beyond the prodigal and grabbed. Wow. Greater love hath no man this than he laid down his life for a friend. Can you you see it? That's Easter. 
That's the gospel. Ah. We, we need to get out of these conversations that are so trite. So, because if you ever get this gospel, my God, you, you ever get this? <laughs> no, it's shibboleth. Oh, it's not sibleth, it's shibboleth. It's unconditional. It's free. And yet it cost everything. And yet it reached beyond the family. Wow, can you? That is my life. That is what this is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about anything or anyone else. And if they can't say shibboleth, if they can't say a friend loves at all times, if they think that God is anything other than a relational being, they think He's anything other, that God will overlook your demand for early payment and He'll overlook your arrogance and He'll overlook the fact that you weren't even born in the family and He'll come for you come for you. Am I making sense? That's the gospel that I've given my life to. That's the gospel I'm calling you to. I keep calling you to. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say, how do I respond? Well, follow the prodigal home. I mean, Jesus is the prodigal. Jesus is the brother. When he comes and gets hit, just follow him home. Just grab a hold and come on back. Just come on in. Act like all of a sudden there's only one place I want to be. I want to stand where Jesus is standing. I want to be where Jesus is staying. Jesus is standing under the shadow of the Almighty and He's going, Our Father. Wow. I just want to stand in that place where Christ is standing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let the light of thy kingdom shine upon and shine out. Give to us all that we need, more than we could imagine. Forgive us as we forgive one another. Don't lead us out into those temptations, but deliver us from evil. I just want to stand under the Our Father and be a son. Thank you for listening to this week's message from The Father's House. We hope you stay connected by following us online at fathershouse.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at TFH Hutch.